Greetings and salutations, comic book fans. You are listening to the Sunspots Comics podcast, issue number 28. I'm your humble host, Chris Latore. Thank you so much for listening. And please, when you get a second, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Sunspots Comics. If you have a question, an inquiry, a recommendation, hit me up, chris at sunspotscomics.com. Hit me up and email me if I discuss your email on the air, on the podcast, you will win a prize. I will mail it out to you, something fun and comic book related. I've sent about, I think, eight or nine out so far. So send me an email. Again, chris at sunspotscomics.com. Don't forget, of course, to check out zombiedestroyers.com and sunspotscomics.com. And this week, I've got four comic book feel-good factoid freebies. I've got one artificial intelligence story. i got a quick mention and dip into the mailbag real quick. But before we jump into the meat of the podcast, there's a quick word from our sponsor. This message brought to you by the people that love comic books. My fellow Americans, this is Sunspots Comics, and we are here to announce that we are running for president in the 2016 presidential election. My running mate and I, Stan Lee, have a brand new initiative. It's one that all of our fellow candidates are lacking to mention, and that is the state of affairs with comic books. One thing that we promise as a major agenda in our campaign will be free comic books for all kids. That's right, comic books in all schools. That's right, no child left behind without a comic book. That's right, that's our initiative. Another thing we'll do is make sure that Spider-Man, the X-Men, Mutants, Fantastic Four, all of it will come back to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And they will be called mutants. That's right, no longer inhumans or whatever they're calling them. They will be mutants again. That's another one of our promises. Also, all numbering of comic books, especially in the Marvel and DC realm, will return to regular numbering. They will no longer be allowed to release a number one every three months. That's right. Marvel and DC will be restricted to going back to the original numbering because that's the way it should be. Yes, we know it. That's the way it should be. We also feel that National cosplay is something that's going to be done every year at work where you can dress up as superheroes. Actually, it's three times a year, I'm sorry, I correct myself. Three times a year, you'll be able to dress up in your favorite comic book get-up and represent yourself. So those are just a few of our platforms that we are here to announce. Our presidency, our candidacy is for real. And probably peace and love to you all. Brought to you by the people that love comic books. That's pretty exciting stuff right there. Mm Mm-hmm. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) Well, let's jump right into the comic book feel-good factoid freebies. There are four this week. And they're just some interesting, heartwarming, nerd-warming stories that I like to go over. Just something a little different, off the beaten path. Something that makes me proud to see that comic books are affecting the world in maybe a little different area. And... I like to look into the current stuff. I I dig through the news to find some of these, and I hope that you enjoy them. And I, of course, will share them on social media, social, all the networks uh, from Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, so you'll see these links. The very first one of four of the comic book factoid feel-good freebies is from the Metro Times. And (laughs) I cracked up when I saw this display. Cranbrook is using superheroes to educate about bats. Yes, and they actually have in this museum, set mostly for children, a rock design to look. It looks like you're walking into the into a cave, and boom, there is a 10 foot high, 10 foot wide f- comic book of a young girl that is half bat, 
half teenager <laughs> and she uh, it, it's hilarious I the article starts off with Cranbrook's organization for bat converse uh, conservation has enlisted the help of Oakland University students to create an exhibit that aims to educate the public about possibly the world's most misunderstood mammal with a new exhibit called bats superhero of the night so I just dug that they used comic books as an avenue to help educate people about bats and really how truly rare they are and how their numbers are dramatically shrinking and they feel that using comic books they've kind of infused it into this display will inspire the kids to see what it's all about and be interested in it so I thought very very cool they're even putting together it looks like an actual completed comic book for two dollars and all the money goes to the exhibit and I just thought very cool very different very unique and a way to <laughs> to get kids involved and they really you have to see the visual of this and how it's a cave designed with this giant comic book in the middle of it just well done they really spent some time and some do re mi to make this look good that's the first one and the second comic book feel-good factoid freebie is from the smithsonian.com titled the new yorker editor who became a comic book hero the amazing tale of a determined art director who harnessed the powers of the great illustrators around the world to blow kids minds I just love that. It's about Francois Mouly, and she has, the, I have to read the first part of this blurb, comic books, educational, question mark? The very idea is comical to anyone familiar with the 1954 Senate subcommittee investigation that linked juvenile delinquency to horror and crime comic books. And that really actually at the time really changed the face of comics. It made things rather difficult for the comic book world. They had to tone things back. They had to clean it up and that and, and change it into a little of a squeaky clean kind of tone. And, and it really changed comic books in, a, in, a, in an interesting and different way. It also says here, the pol politicians dealt the industry a staggering blow that it eventually overcame, only with superheroes, plus corny teens like comic comics like Archie and a rascal named Dennis came to the rescue so even from there the blooming of those style of comics came out which there to this day most of them are still in there and still doing it still comics are seldom associated with literacy but Francois Mouly started toon books precisely to get more young people reading thinking enjoying the printed word lushly illustrated and handsomely bound as well it's something that I think is a little different um, she's definitely a a skilled historian so she goes back into comics and their effect onto free speech the first amendment and it's just an interesting take uh, she seems very well educated and I definitely want to peek in upon this work as she uh, does an homage to the importance of comic books and how it affected the publishing industry the editing industry so very interesting article here and it just made me feel good that it seems a very seasoned very professional very uh, published author is spending time showing how important comic books are to printed media and as an art form. So just she just shine the light, spread some love, and I really appreciate that. The next one, the number three, is from Newsrama.com, and it's titled "Real Comic Book Heroes." We just had Veterans Day that just passed. Real heroes recognizing comic book creators that served on Veterans Day. So just a quick nod shout out and thank you to stan lee he was uh, served in the army in world war ii so thank you stan the man jack kirby uh, also world war ii he was a pfc third army 11th infantry regiment company f 
Mr. Kirby himself, King Kirby, the master. John Ramita, Ramita, who John Ramita and his son, Korean War in 1951, he served his term there. Uh, Dick Ayers served three years and three weeks in World War II and 20 mo- 21 months deployed overseas as a radio operator and bomber. I didn't know that about Mr. Dick Ayers. Um, Doug Murray, co-creator of The NAM, which I actually found in a, in a, in a garage sale not too long ago. Um, a bunch of the Nam comics, and so I'm excited to go back and read those. They were, um, uh, I think it was only collected into about 60 issues, but I definitely want to read it. It's gritty, and it's drawn really nostalgically well, and it's, it reminds me of the movie Platoon, which I loved, and I'm going to have to go back and check out the Nam. So thank you very much for your service. We appreciate everything you did for our country and how you served us. Thank you for those individuals in the realm of comic books that serve their time in the National Forces. Thank you for your service. And the fourth and final comic book feel-good factoid freebie comes from denver.cbs.local. World's largest comic book distributor cashing in on Colorado pot business. And this is an article about the owner of Mile High Comics, who I actually met at Kamikaze Con just recently. And he had this uh, ginormous, gigantic, I think, 22,000 square foot facility in uh, Denver that Mr. Rosansky uh, owned. And it looks like it was just basically a large warehouse of his, uh, you know, they, they go to from time to time to pull out and sell and distribute. It looks like a pretty lonely little warehouse there in the middle of nowhere. Well, due to the legalization of marijuana there, They've paid him top dollar for this facility, and it looks like it's, I didn't know, but maybe he was having some financial trouble, and it really came at a perfect time, he says here in the article, that uh, Mr. Rosinski, uh, Rosansky, sorry, uh, was able to get top dollar for it and use the money to pay off debts uh, that Mile High Comics has and to just keep the business uh, running, keep the lights on, so... He's able to cash in on that. So interesting, as, as far as uh, for me, I've never been the biggest fan of Mile High Comics for the most part. Believe it or not, I know they have the largest inventory, but they never really have the, what I'm looking for, and usually it's kind of overpriced. But uh, they're important to the industry, and they they have sold millions upon millions of comics, and you know, it's good to keep them in business. They really do support the industry well. And so uh, cashing in on the marijuana. So there you go. So those are the four comic book Feel good factoid freebies. Just warmed my nerd heart. That's right. Let's now take a glimpse and a peek into the world of artificial intelligence. And one article here that just popped in this week was that Toyota, Toyota invests $1 billion in artificial intelligence in the robotics category. They're investing $1 billion in research. The company is setting up in Silicon Valley to develop artificial intelligence and robotics. So picture that, folks. Your Camry coming at you to murder, death, kill you. Yeah, it's it's on its way. <laughs> They've already shown an R2-D2-like robot designed to help the elderly oh, and sick people in wheelchairs by picking them up and carrying objects. Just, Toyota, we shouldn't make robots that can pick up humans. You don't see that as bad? I mean, I can just see old people being hurled through the air. So, Toyota, bad idea. <laughs> anyway, that's the one dip and glimpse into the world of artificial intelligence. Look out. They're coming. 
Alrighty, well now that that fun stuff is out of the way, let's get into my favorite part of the show that really makes my heart go pitter-patter. It's where the love is. And that's the my favorite picks, top picks of the week for New Comic Book Day, November 11th. And a couple things before we jump right into that. Uh, there were five number ones this week. The, uh, the Goddamned, Hawkeye, Limbo, Slash and Burn, and Web Warriors. And of those five... Two made it into the top eight picks, so not bad. Um, I guess, well, maybe percentage-wise, not that good. But overall, there were 19 comics this week, so a very, very daunting amount of comics to read. But they were easy and quick reads, breezy. And that's when you know you've got a good bushel of comic books in your hands. So these are my recommendations. These, uh, spoiler alert, I read all 19 of these comics, I buy them, then I make my recommendations to you. I pick the best ones. And it was it was a, it was kind of a medium to, to, to hard week to pick these. There were a lot of good comics. Please go to sunspotscomics.com and click on pull list to see all 19 that I purchased. And I just go over my favorites and the ones that I do recommend that you buy. And there were eight of them. And, oh, a couple of things, too. Uh, the cover art winner was selected by Nicole Colegio, friend of the show. Thank you, Nicole. And she picked the cover art winner as Captain America White, number four. She kind of said she doesn't know why. It just looks good, <laughs> which is, hey, it just spoke to her artistically. It is very iconic, very red, white, and blue. It was Veterans Day, probably in the in the frontal lobes there of, of, of her brain. But thank you very much. Nicole Collegio for picking the cover art winner of the week. 19 covers to look at. And the art winner of the week, just flat out art winner, which did make the top eight picks, for me was Harrow County. So the overall art art winner by artist Tyler Crook was Harrow County number seven, was the art winner. So beautiful stuff. And here come the eight. I'm going to spoil them. I'm going to review them and talk about why I feel they were truly easy buys that will make you your pocketbook just feel happy that you they were just well spent on really good comics. So jumping right in at number eight from Image Comics, Limbo, number one. And the cover has a 80s cassette or a cassette, I guess. Uh, pulling, someone's pulling the tape out and spilling it out into Limbo. And this was a beautiful, beautifully colored cornucopia of a comic book. Let me tell you, just the neon feel to it, all over the place in color. I think, uh, oh, by the way, the team uh, was writer Dan Waters, artist Casper Wingard, with a J in there, lettering Jim Campbell. So it looks like Casper did the art and the ink, uh, which is gorgeous. I mean, you open up panel one with a yellow background and a pink lizard on a stick that he's eating. So this is set in, I'm, maybe it's a city, a small city in Mexico, you're not really sure. And we have a white-haired guy with a bunch of tape all over his hands, which looks like he has blue skin. But it's just the way that the artistic style plays off of like neon and ultraviolet lights in this town. It's very kind of New Orleans feel to it. But it's even like the Day of the Dead, like a like a a night parade going on, and he doesn't have a very good memory, and he's sort of wandering through this bar. Um, he looks like he's a sounds like he's a private investigator, but his memory is a little kind of all over the place. And you're quickly introduced to this world of some very strange and odd mysticism. He's standing by a swamp where there's a dead fish floating, and 
there's like some sort of tentacled animal that quickly grabs this fish. So it's it quickly sets this tone of this dark New Orleans-like feel with all these neon blues and pinks. Page four is just about every color there is. It's like a rainbow on the page. It's insane. And it's actually showing his younger sidekick, Sandy, just dancing around with her Sony Walkman on. So it's very 80s nostalgic. It tapped on that for me. And just this noir-styled mystery of why is, this, why is this guy's memory jacked? How is this young girl his sidekick? Why is he a private investigator? He doesn't really know. But then, of course, the femme fatale enters the private eye office and needs his help. And she works at a nightclub where the most popular drug dealer in town, who wears a wrestler's luchador mask, which is pretty awesome, uh, is involved in some voodoo, there's goat's eyes that are glowing, and some weird seance going on with like this Indian, and you're already feeling like there is a connection between all of these characters, but you don't know why, and this strange shaman is really connected to our main character, which I want to say his name was Clay. And so it's really just world building here, but setting a really interesting tone. Like I said, that noir feel, but this, the neon color, you have to put your eyes on this. It's just a gorgeous piece of art that you want to just own and show to people. I showed this to my mother-in-law, who doesn't speak very good English, and she was just like, oh, wow, this looks interesting, and just kind of thumbed through it and, you know, didn't really know what a comic book was, but she was like, wow, that's what that's all about? So you just want to show it to people. It's gorgeous. Number eight. Number seven. Image Comics, The Walking Dead, number 148. I, I tell you, the cover is gorgeous of these, the, uh, the, the, the creepers, the, the talkers, the skin, the zombie skin covered cuckoos uh, horde. And of course, Robert Kirkman, creator, writer, penciler and cover, Charlie Adlard. And this is a great sort of setup story, which it just looks like it's just, it's going to majorly go down. And Carl's girlfriend, which was one of the face cover, she was the daughter of the leader of the of the, the Whisperers, that's right. Um, her name is Alpha, we refer to her as Alpha. Um, kind of kicked her daughter to the side, but we, we sort of saw that it was part of an act to maybe keep her safe, like the Alpha's losing control of the, this large, creepy, culty group. And it, it shows that again here in the early pages where Alpha's just crying against a tree. And one of the uh, one of her, her right-hand men come out to speak to her and, Are you crying? And you just know there, because this Alpha's a badass, that he shouldn't have said that. And yes, just for seeing that, he, that she was crying, he has to be put down. Because uh, the, she can't show it. She, very clearly the way he wrote it here was that you know, she can't show any weakness to this group. Like, it's very delicate and could fall apart at any time. Well, in Rick's camp, it's the direct same thing. The group is is getting riotous, and they are, they're not happy with Rick wanting to just survey and go on recon missions with Carl. They're, they're, not, they're not digging that. They want action. They want throats. They want, they want blood for the 13 people that Alpha had sacrificed and, and laid up on on sticks uh, to make a wall of the border of their camp. So both sides of the camps here, both sides of this war that's brewing, things are falling apart, things are a bit crazy. Where is this going to go? Well written, great ending of course, always the cliffhanger, Mr. Kirkman, kudos. And it's, it's 
you even see Rick here have an emotional moment of his own, like where Alpha's crying against a tree. Um, Rick's like, F word, and just putting a, a cool washcloth on his forehead. And Nuts, that who he's asking help for is a bit of a shocker. I think you can guess there. So there you go. That's my number seven, The Walking Dead. Very well done. It's getting good. I can't wait to see where that's really going to go. There's going to be a massive war with the Whispers and Rick's ragtag band. Anyway, the number six comic book of the week from Image Comics is Southern Bastards number 12. This time, the normally who does the art, Jason Latour, is doing the writing in this. A little twisteroo. And looks like they've hired a temporary artist, Chris Brunner. Who Chris Brunner is right along the theme here. He doesn't miss a beat. And, you know, you automatically get a little worried when you're like, hey, Southern Bastards has had the same team. I don't like them when things change. Well, he has a, a, a handle on keeping the, the theme of Southern Bastards going. So, once again, we're being introduced to a character who is one of, uh, one of bosses, uh, the, the, uh, the coach boss, uh, right-hand henchman. And he, this guy has actually kind of a kind heart. He's a giant, enormous man, but you sort of see that Tad, who was the only friend Earl Tubb had, who, if you remember early on, surprisingly, Earl Tubb, who you thought was going to be the hero, was killed. And it looks like his daughter's coming back from the army sometime, which I can't wait to see where that's going. Well written there to introduce this daughter in, like, Desert Storm or something. It's going to come into this town, and we, I hope avenge her father who was killed by coach boss and tad was like a kind of a slow kid in the neighborhood who they beat up because he was earl tubbs friend and he's in the hospital dealing with this gruesome beating and he's watching some very ren and stimpy like almost even reminds me of the comic book chew uh like cartoons that are sort of dipping in and out of his consciousness i like how they played with that whereas he they don't really know if he's fully conscious or he's in a coma, yet he sees these cartoons and they sort of infect his dreams. So I think if I'm ever, for the record, if I'm ever in the hospital and in and out of consciousness, don't put cartoons on because it looks like it will just haunt me for all eternity. Knock on wood, hopefully nothing, nothing like that will happen. But anyway, um, so this this lighthearted character that feels for Tad visits Tad and there's there's an emotional sort of soft, sweet moment there that's well played out. I mean, you're looking at this young kid that's just been beaten by grown men, and he's just kind of a slow uh, person as it is, you know, and not, you know, mentally handicapped, etc. And he brings him some, uh, some of the team's paraphernalia, you know, some foam finger. And the, sad, like the nurse, looks like the nurses are the only one that signed this poor kid's cast. So you're like, oh, your heart kind of breaks there a little bit. So well, a subtle little thing that's drawn, that really just evokes major emotion at least it did for me and then it goes further into this psychedelic cartoon that's infecting his dreams which changes the color palette and everything looks a little little shaggy little scooby and it it's a strange little romp into his uh his in, into his psyche here that's frightening because of this cartoon that's continually being played in his hospital bed but it's clear that ultimately from that cartoon this young boy tad has a mission to kill coach boss and he's very clear in the end of that dream that that's what he wants to do and so uh you're seeing him back now tad back at home trying to recover and he hears a dog bark and he immediately grabs a leash and like wheelchairs himself outside 
to see that the dog in this that has shown up from page one, episode one, that was just dropping a deuce in front of the sign that that showed the town name. He has a horde of dogs, all with evil red eyes. And this is kind of like what I absolutely hoped for, for it to take a weird twist, whereas the dog has something to do with the story, and there looks like they're doing it. It has like a, like a rooster in his jaws, and there's like the same dog, like 15 of them, all with these crazy glowing red eyes. And the boy wanted to leash up the dog, but then like, what? The dog has an army? This is kind of where I swear I exactly wanted this to go that way. I wanted that dog who drops in from time to time. Seems to even have a bit of a, a moral compass when he doesn't like any of the really horrible bad people in this town. And I thought, wouldn't that be awesome if they wrote the dog? Well, they, they dived into my brain and it looks like the dog is going to be a character. So yes, that's why it was my solid, solid number pick, number six pick of the week. And number five, from Image Comics, Descender. From Jeff Lemire and Dustin Wynn. This con just continues to be consistent. This has a very much a just pastel color palette that very much looks like watercoloring. I know it's probably a digital effect, but it's just so gorgeous. Dustin Wynn, home run every single time. So this is a world where giant robots destroyed the world, and now they're trying to, they show a very just Star Wars sci-fi feeling bounty hunter that his mission is to hunt and destroy and be a bounty hunter to destroy robots and he's got an awesome cloak he has like a a Kylo Ren like sort of mask <laughs> it's very Star Wars-esque feeling but with this water coloring that's insane and he's going through this very desolate very poor village hunting a robot and he finds his robot so you're just introduced to this bounty hunter okay brand new character and then also our Tim21 character who is the young AI-like robot with a very sort of naive uh, look in, uh, into the world. He's our innocent, if you will. We look, when you look through his eyes, he's, he's that glimpse of innocence in what he does for this story. Well, we realize that he's got a brother, Tim22. It's a clone of him as well that comes into this robot land where they're at for a minute where they're parked there trying to figure out what to do next. Are they going to hide? Are they going to run? Are they going to go to the government and try to make their case to not kill all the robots that are left. And Tim 22 is not as friendly and nice and uh, compassionate as, as Tim 21 when he uh, is threatened and uses his Iron Man repulsor blast to just take an alien's head right off. So I was like, okay, surprising little twist there, a little different. You got two sides of the coin. And so this ultimately is an exploration into this, this character, this mysterious hooded cloaked character that is hell-bent and hates robots. The big reveal, of course, is that Tim21 used to be his brother. So is he a robot? Is he a human? Was he one of those humans on this planet where Tim21 was when he, Tim21 awakened early in the, this series? All the humans were dead on the planet, on this mining planet that he was on. So what happened there? What's the connection? Just well laid out. Great introduction to a brand new character and drawn ever so lovely by the master, Dustin Wynn. And Jeff Lemire, who amazingly is doing 47 titles or something, Jeff, and yet still has time to write in a very interesting, unique way. So, very well done. And now we're into the four. Uh, number four, uh, from Image Comics, Birthright, issue number 11, from uh, Williamson, Bresson, and Lucas. And this is... <laughs> The, the brother road trip, the brother and brother road trip aspect 
really hits the heart for me. This is why I enjoy it. It's the older brother, young, younger brother exploration, and they're just doing it right with this strange Lord of the Rings-like world that the older brother disappeared into forever, and now he's back on the standard planet Earth, and people just have to believe that he was in this Conan Barbarian kind of land with all these strange dragons and spirit monsters, etc. So his younger brother now has imbued the power of a spirit that tried to kill them, but is a, but essentially a good spirit. And his older brother who was in this realm is seems like he is now openly deceiving his younger brother. So I think this is a still a, a, a character a major characterization change for the primary character who you thought was loving to his brother and wants all good for planet Earth, when it, it very much is looking like he is written very much the opposite. So very well done to take a major character you kind of love, but now twisting it, and you can't help but think in this style of writing, oh, will they make him good again? Will he be, you know, will he twist? Is he going from good, bad, good, bad, good, bad? But this is another little flashbacky trip into when he came across this young, he was in preteen age and wanted to save this young woman from being sacrificed for the local spirit. And he does do a good deed and chases after and goes in this deep dark cave and these crazy looking like dwarf monsters with some crazy looking foreheads attack him and he has to sort of fight his way out of it. So it's definitely that exploration in his development as a Conan the Barbarian-like character that can withstand spells and and have some crazy insane axe-wielding skills. But the story he's telling his brother and the story that's actually happening in this flashback are two different stories. And this spirit that's taken over the younger brother uh, tells him that he's lying. Just and confirms his suspicions. And so it's just this back and forth with who's good, who's bad, drawn so gorgeously, I have to say. Absolutely gorgeous uh, from the artist Andre Bresson. Just gorgeous, clean lines. And the way they weave this Lord of the Rings-like, Conan-like world, and how the spirits seem to jump into people's bodies, the good and the bad spirits. He draws the bad spirit as like liquid blood sort of floating around in in a cohesive face on the exterior of the characters. And it's, it's beautifully gruesome. So I have to hats off to Mr. Bresson. So gorgeous, that's why Birthright is the number four pick of the week. Now the top three. Number three from Image Comics, The Goddamned, Before the Flood, issue one. Writer Jason Aaron, so I guess he took a trip out of Southern Bastards to write The Goddamned number one. So that's maybe why they, which is a trip to let um, Justin Latour, the artist of Southern Bastard, you know, write it. So that's why he must be stepped off to do The Goddamned. But how goddamned good it was <laughs> and uh, and it's an introduction into this looks like a thousand 1600 years after Adam and Eve after Eden and boy the world looks like a cesspool of mess and excrement and you have a young armless kid just taking a leak off a rock when our main character is in this poopy mud pile and this blonde totally naked character steps out of this gross mud pile, decides to grab more gross carcass clothing and clean himself with it, and it, you're just grossed out at first. You're like, okay, this is, you're, you're getting some frontal nudity, there's all this excrement and animal carcass and feces, and it's just this, this comic smells 
and I, I never thought that was truly possible. <laughs> you can smell this comic, and these this prehistoric man, and the language they use is very modern language, very the F word bombs, and and they're using just the common vernacular, and it's strangely hysterical placed into this prehistoric man who, let's face it, how much dialogue would there really be? So his twist is to just write it in modern. Um, and that's, that's, that's an interesting take, I thought. Very interesting and different. And I like it. And so our blonde Adonis main character decides to kill and dispatch the people that apparently threw him in this feces mud bog. And so it's just this battle royale of, of, of limbs flying and shoulders being axed and and it is so gruesomely violent with all these bone knives and spurs and axes and he just dispatches them all and then he sort of cleans himself some up, up some more with some art animal carcass and puts a little bit of clothing on and grabs some raw meat off the floor and sets upon his journey and then he kind of says who he is and he is Cain brother of Abel immortal unable to be killed and his line is, my brother always was an asshole. So it's just it's just hilariously uh, drawn and written into this sort of prehistoric man. And uh, then you're you're introduced to a uh, T-Rex kind of character that's Kane, that Kane has to battle here. So that's coming up next. Looks like fun. And then you're introduced to Noah. And he's like this crazy bearded pirate. Looks like a cross between, I don't know... Uh, Jack Sparrow and uh, uh, I don't know, just like a like Blackbeard, and he's like, "What animals have you here?" So he, his insanely looking, brutal, three hundred looking squad of of you know murderers are trying to grab the two animals together for the ark. So just a twisted little strange biblical nodding plotted strange story that I'm fully in. I, uh, I dig it. I have to admit, it, it it taps into maybe that little bit of how I was raised as Catholic and, and uh, you know, like, ooh, this is kind of wrong, but just, oh, it's so right. And <laughs> that's why it's my number three. So check out The Goddamned, number one. Well, well written, Mr. Jason Aaron. And number two is the finale, four of four, Image Comics, Airboy from Robinson and Hinkle. And I tell you... This was so beautifully drawn by Hinkle, and this was that weird self-examination, self-deprecating story of how he writes himself as a comic book artist, and him and Hinkle go on this insane acid trip, basically, where they go back into World War II, but World War II with mechs and bombers that have wings, like actual red wings, and the sense of humor in this is top-notch. It's highbrow humor and lowbrow humor. Uh, let's face it, some frontal nudity joke, etc. thing going on that <laughs> you'll, you'll enjoy. And this is where they kind of embrace this acid trip and like, okay, well, let's try to be heroes. Let's go on this mission. Let's see where this goes. They, they are, you know, Robinson does some cocaine with the, uh, the, the girl that, uh, that is, is Airboy's wife or girlfriend or something. But yet Mr. Hinkle defiled her. <laughs> um... And it's just this, they're fighting mechs, they're going on a mission, they're trying to blow up this bridge, or not have this bridge not blow up. The action is a little all over the place, but you're just like, wow, they're on this acid trip romp, and then boom, it's over. They're back to their the regular world, and they're in a bathtub together, naked in a bathtub. 
So yeah, I, I honestly felt the complete moral of this was to don't be an asshole and don't do drugs. And there is a, a scene at the end where they come to the realization that they just need to work hard. That's ultimately what they're saying here. And the drugs was a bad idea. And Hinkle uh, is obviously the the somewhat straighter arrow of the two. I mean, he's just as much on this acid trip as, as Robinson was. And it's really like a kick in his own pants when you really think about it. He's really being kind of hard on himself here. And like Hinkle's just saying like, you know, you're, you're, you're freaking great. You're the great James Robinson. Like, get your shit together. You know, let, let's just... He, he's like... He, Robinson's asking, so I'm full of shit? And he's like, you said it, not me. I mean, there's just... Really, a, a dive into his... Into heavy psyche here, I think. And where he's really trying to kick himself in his own pants. To kick himself in the short hairs. To like, hey, you know... Whether this is a true romp in his life or not, I really wonder after everything is done with this... If there'll be some sort of article or an interview of him, of how close is this to reality? Did you really have a problem with drugs? And I just love that the very last little aspect of it is where Hinkle's ultimately saying, like, hey, I came up here to work with the, the James Robinson, so when he's ready to work, then give me a call. And he kind of steps out, and he's like, Robinson's like, Greg, wait. And he literally blows away the blow. Um, and you just are left with an old Airboy comic. And I have to say, well drawn. I want to read all four again, together, um, like together back to back. I'm sure it'll have a little different feel to it, but definitely something different, definitely something unique, def definitely a WTF, like, huh? Uh, twisted little acid trip, self-deprecating story, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. It's, I'm sure, going to be an Eisner winner. Watch out for that. But it was just slightly edged out by my number one this week by Dark Horse Comics, Harrow County, written by Colin Bunn, art by the lovely art winner of the week, Tyler Crook. And one thing I have to say, they share these little horror stories at the back end articles of this, at the very end of this comic. I kind of want this to sort of be over so that I can read all of those because there's a lot of them. And there's even like a little mini comic at the end. This one has this woman that gets, that lives alone and cuts her arm off and it's like a sawmill, goes to the hospital and from the sawmill, from her arm, she has a baby. The arm turns into a baby. And she, <laughs> she's this creepy woman that eventually all her limbs are cut off or fell off and they turn all into children that are identical to her like clones. Just sort of cute and creepy at the same time. They do a great job of that here. But this comic is the furthering tale of how this very main-like Salem witch was, was hung in a tree a long, long, long time ago. And from that tree, two young girls came out of it, like were born from the tree. And they are witches. One which went to high society and looks like New York. And the one stayed in this small town, staying with her dad and... The dad never really saw a lot of these witch-like symptoms till she turned into like maybe a teenager, like 17, 18 years old. And so there was a lot of, uh, early on in this story, a lot of this town with pitchforks and, and throwing tomatoes at her and, and get the witch, get the witch. But she used powers to scare the hell out of them and now they've kind of just decided to just sort of respect her, let, leave her be, <clears throat> let her live her life. And they come to her for favors and for healing the wounded and helping with uh, crops with wit her witchcraft. So using it in, in good ways. So I like that little turning twist of events. Well, now 
excuse me. Now the twin sister comes back from New York and has decided to build an army against this town and against her sister. And by gathering the, the, the ghosts and goblins and beasts and monsters and lurking shadows and, and swamp monsters in this town that, sh that the, the friendlier sister has grown to be sort of light friends with and have, have accepted and told them to leave the town alone, well, the New York uh, sister wants to start a, start a war with them. So you only see the evil sister recruiting for most of this. And you're like, oh, the sweet sister is going down. Well, she's not as innocent and or as stupid as you sort of think. She does ask her another one of the ghoulish uh, spirits that's like a, uh, like a little boy with no skin. And the skin talks, and then the sort of body doesn't. And she has the skin on a clothes dryer outside, like on a, you know, on a clothesline. And she's like, go patrolling. Because I know evil sister's up to something. So it's like evil witch versus good witch. And I love that play here. And the art is gorgeous. So, again, very realistic. But inked with, like, watercoloring style. And the color palette doesn't necessarily keep you in the dark and the gloom and doom of a lot of horror comics. There are bright lit moments. There's her sitting, the evil sister having a picnic with this giant beast and negotiating the destruction of her twin sister. And it's just, uh, you sort of care about this town. You sort of care about the dad. You definitely care about our main character, the younger girl that is made has made peace with this town. And here comes the sister to disrupt everything. So it, it does feel like that is the big baddie of this. And that's where it's going to go. And I just love it. It's so well done. It's, it's even at times, they, they both... Are missing that piece in their lives they're they're both really wanting to be close to each other but they sort of know it's inevitable like the evilness of that witch has been split into two pieces two sides evil and and you know the yin and yang the light and dark and they just sort of are destined to fight each other and there's a panel where they draw this this swamp monster coming out of this out of the out of this this bog and it's just gorgeously drawn very Mike Mignola-esque so lovely lovely work and that is my number one, and I reread this one a couple times, and there is a scary, scary stories, mini scary stories in the back, which when it's all said and done, hopefully they wrap this up and don't keep it going on and on and on for years, I'm going to reread all of it and read all those stories at the end. So those are my comic book rec recommendations. Go out and buy them. Support your local comic book shop and spend some actual money buying these paper comics. I highly recommend them. It's a really solid week. And uh, that's going to do it for our show. One last thing before we go, I wanted to say a quick uh, shout out and thank you uh, to Nancy Gonzalez for uh, writing in about her praise on my Comic-Con tips. She was just, she said she did everything. That's just awesome, Nancy, that you did all the, you took all the com Comic-Con tips that I gave to you, which you can hear all about in, uh, I think it's issue number 22. And uh, thank you very much for writing into the show, Nancy. Appreciate it, and hello. Th hope things are well. And uh, that's our show, so please tune in next week. It'll be a little bit of a smaller week. I have ten polls, but I have also seven new number ones that I want to check out. So it could be potentially ten or potentially seventeen polls for next week. But check out sunspotscomics.com and click on Poll List to see what I'm pulling. And you'll even see my top picks there. If you pick, uh, click on that, you'll see every top pick I've picked since May of this year. 
So great recommendations in there. Buy all of them. Trust me, you will not be disappointed. So thank you for listening to our show. Please follow us on Instagram, the uh, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Sunspots Comics. And if you have any questions, concerns, recommendations, email me directly at chris at sunspotscomics.com. And of course, do not forget, don't leave home without. And of course, maybe buy three to five of them. Buy one, get one free. dive right into the part of the show that makes my heart go pitter-patter and that is the brand new spanking uh, flagging flagging flagging